Welcome back to People Analytics. I'm your host, Lindsay Patton. Today I have with me Aaron Miller, who is the Vice President of People and Culture at Lulu. Aaron, thank you so much for joining me today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on. So let's get into it. Tell the audience who you are, what you do, and why you do it. Absolutely. My name is Aaron Core Miller, and I'm the Vice President of People and Culture at Lulu.com. Lulu.com is a self-publishing platform where anyone in the world can come to our website and publish their book. So we are big on supporting entrepreneurs and creators. And, uh, you know, with the work I do with people, um, I've been in the HR space now for about 10 years. And I think why I do it is because I really want to focus on how do we create environments where everyone can thrive and really create that sense of belonging so that we all can show up as our best self. Mm -hmm. And you say belonging, and that means a lot to you. Um, So tell me why it's important for you to, you know, make sure everyone feels like they belong. Yeah, absolutely. So I grew up in a family where there were four kids. I've got three sisters. And as you can imagine, it was a very busy household. (laughs) And at any given moment, either all four of us were together and doing something fun, or maybe one or two of us were left out. And so I think just growing up in a large family, there were many times where there were, you know, the wonderful times where I felt very included. And then there were also times where I was on the other side where I didn't feel included. And that really spoke to me Mm -hmm. and has kind of nurtured uh, the path that I've taken in my career. Because, you know, when someone starts a new job, even though we're adults, and we have our adult bodies, there is that little kid in each of us that you know, the first day of work can feel like the first day of kindergarten. Mm -hmm. And you go into that same mindset of, you know, will people like me and who's going to be my friend and who is going to talk to me when I get to work. And so I really look through that lens when I think about creating a culture of belonging. Mm -hmm. Now, I know you said you had experience, you know, feeling left out in your family. Did you ever have that experience uh, in your career that kind of helped motivate you to, you know, help everyone feel belong, like they belong. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would say when I got into HR, you know, there or the people work, I, I started at the Motley Fool as their director of people development. And I think every HR professional, you know, you have company mixers or there's a company meeting nine times out of 10, the people that are in HR are in the corner by themselves Mm. talking to themselves because no one really wants to go up and say, Hey, how's it going? What's up? You know, I think there's been a a negative connotation uh, regarding HR professionals. And so I would say I could count on both hands and both feet uh, moments where I have not felt included even in you know the organization I may have been working in. Yeah, it's so easy. I, I bet anyone who's been in a career has had that feeling. Um, so tell me how you you know make sure um, people feel included in your current role. Absolutely. So a big way that I make sure people feel included is really in our onboarding process. We walk them through 
not only learning about our culture, but we ask them questions about, you know, what is a core value that you live by and how will you contribute to our culture in a positive way? And, you know, building those connections with their colleagues, as well as just giving them a warm welcome mm-hmm. and also encouraging all of our other employees to, you know, send that individual a message. Or if you see them in the hallway at the office saying, good morning, my name is Aaron, you're a new face, you know, welcome to the company. And it's through all those little moments that you really build that sense of belonging. I think it's, it's less grand gestures and it's all those little moments that you have throughout the days and the weeks when people are joining your organization. Mm -hmm. So how do you uh, spread that throughout the organization? Um, You know, you're just one person. So how do you help others to, you know, have those little moments with each other? Absolutely. So that's something when I joined Lulu two years ago, I met with the employee base and I had a lot of one-on-one conversations and met people in small groups and discussed with them what type of culture do we want to build and how do we hold each other accountable. And I may lead people in culture, but as you said, I'm only one person. Mm -hmm. And as individuals at companies, we make a decision we make a choice every morning how to show up at work. And we are, we either choose to contribute in a positive way to our culture and to the people around us, or we choose to contribute in a negative way. We choose not to say good morning. We choose to leave that person out of a conversation. And so one thing that we have at Lulu is an engagement team. And that engagement team is about um, 30% of our employees. We meet on a monthly basis and they're really our culture carriers. They're the ones that I look to to get feedback, but also that I look to to help spread that word of inclusion. And the ones that I look to when no one's talking to each other, okay, who on the engagement team is going to step up and bring everyone together and start those conversations. So it's really a team effort at Lulu. That's really great. So how would you describe Lulu's core culture? I would say it's one built on uh, trust and transparency and, um, you know, transparency builds trust. And so when I joined the organization a couple of years ago, we we spent a lot of time as an executive team building up that trust with our employees, listening to their feedback, hearing the employee voice, and then working that feedback into actions and programs that we took at Lulu. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a, a big aspect of it. You know, it's not it's not what you say, it's what you do, it's the actions that you take the metrics that you measure and really holding yourself accountable because employees are watching and they know when you're just saying something and they know when you're actually going to follow through and do what you say you were going to do. Yeah. I mean, I just think of, I've had this flash of all my jobs in the past and all the promises that were made that never came to fruition because it's just, it's so common and that accountability is so necessary. Absolutely. Yeah. So another thing that you're really passionate about is coaching. So tell me how you have gotten into coaching uh, in your career. 
Yeah, so the coaching aspect of my career really started at The Motley Fool. I was their director of people development and part of a team that created an internal coaching program. And The Motley Fool really invested in me. They sent me to get certified as an agile coach. And then I was able to train um, with other partners at The Motley Fool. We trained about 30 internal coaches. And the goal was really focused on not giving advice and not being you know, mentors, but truly being coaches. And as a coach, it's really important to listen and ask powerful questions to allow people ownership along their journey. And a lot of times it's really being a sounding board for someone Mm -hmm. and having them talk through, okay, what is going well? What is not going well? What is within my control? And how do I move forward? So as a coach, it's really about being curious and being inquisitive and giving someone the opportunity and the ownership to reach their goals and solve their problems. Mm-hmm. So when you're coaching, what does that early relationship look like between you and the person that you're coaching? Yeah, again, trust and transparency. Mm-hmm. I go back to that um, in any relationship that's going to be successful One, you really need to both get on the same page about what are the expectations. And as a coach, you always want to ask the individual, what are you looking for from me? Are you looking for appreciation? Are you looking for affirmation? Are you looking for feedback on an idea? Are you looking for encouragement? And really setting those expectations early are key. Mm -hmm. And the other thing as a coach is really explaining, here are the things I am willing to do. Here are the things I'm not willing to do. Mm -hmm. And I'll bring bring up an example. Uh, A lot of the coaching that I did at The Motley Fool were people coming to me and saying, hey, I need to have this difficult conversation with my boss. Mm -hmm. And Aaron, you have a really good relationship with my boss. So I was wondering, can you go tell my boss, (laughs) these are the things that we're struggling with. And I'd say, I'm your coach. I'm not going to go have the conversation for you. But what I will do is help you prepare to go have that conversation yourself. And that's where the ownership comes in. And that's where the true growth comes in. Yeah. So who, you know, who should be looking for a coach? Is, you know, should everyone have a coach? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we all have a dentist. We all have a doctor. I think we should all have a therapist and we should all have a coach. And, you know, the, the main thing is, um, you know, understanding the, the benefits of having a coach and understanding, you know, what will you get out of it? A lot of us walk around all day and we have a dialogue going on in our head. And when we say things to ourselves, it can be very different when you actually say them out loud Mm -hmm. and especially when you have a sounding board. And a great coach is, is asking further questions. Or if you bring up a situation, a coach, a great coach is going to ask, you know, what excites you about moving in this direction? Mm. What scares you about moving in this direction? And so really, it is absolutely about asking powerful questions and drawing that truth Mm -hmm. out of the individual versus trying to influence their truth or influence their path. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So how is it different from a mentor? 
Yeah. So um, the way I look at this, a mentor is someone who has a similar career path, very similar skill set, and they're mentoring you in a in a specific skill set. And they're saying, you know, okay, Aaron, uh, I'm just new into HR, and I am not sure about how to handle this benefits issue or this employee relations issue. That's where mentoring is really key because you're going to someone who has that very specific skill set that can give you the, you know, steps one, two, and three. This is how to handle this specific thing. Where coaching, coaching can be really anyone. You know, I I always feel that people need to have their own personal board of directors. And so for me, I've got about four or five people in my life. One's a former boss, one's a friend, one is a, a woman who is about 20 years older than me, but in a similar career. Um, one person is 22 years old. I call her a mentor because um, I think it's also really important to diversify mm-hmm. the coaches and the, the your board of directors mm-hmm. that are around you because we all have our blind spots. And so, you know, again, it's it's really good to get all those different perspectives and each person I rely on for different things in my life. And again, I can have the best idea, but sometimes if I don't run it through a few people on my personal board of directors, Mm -hmm. I don't get the full picture or I may not reach my full potential because I haven't gone through the, that list of questions or the, the list of curiosities with someone who can be that sounding board for me. Mm-hmm. And I like how you mentioned that you go to different people for different things, because it's also about finding someone who is a good fit. Um, so as you mentioned, like, you know, a therapist or doctor, some may not work out in terms of seeing eye to eye. And how do you find that good fit? What, what kind of qualities are you looking for in someone you connect with? Absolutely. So how I find them, um, if you talk to my mom, she would tell you I've never met a stranger. <laughs> I talk to people everywhere I go. I might meet you at 7-Eleven. I might meet you at Target. Mm-hmm. I might meet you at the park. Um, but I think the biggest thing for me when I'm looking for a coach or someone that I want on my board of directors, they've got qualities that I admire and aspire to. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, high levels of integrity. And, um, you know, for me, growing up as a young woman in Nebraska, um, you know, a lot of my life was spent really getting feedback when I was being nice or pleasing Mm -hmm. people (laughs) or, you know, putting putting my wants and needs on the back burner And so one thing in my adult life, I always say I'm a recovering people pleaser. Mm -hmm. And so for me, a big part of my journey has been finding coaches and people on my board of directors who've taught me, you can advocate for yourself, you can ask for what you need, and you can do it in a really kind and clear way. And so um, again, you know, making a connection with someone seeing something that they do that you want to be better at, 
I think is the biggest thing that draws me to the people that I have on my personal board of directors. Mm -hmm. And I love to talk about people pleasing for a moment because I am also a victim of Midwest nice. (laughs) I'm in Michigan. (laughs) And so, you know, it is something that I relate to really deeply. Uh, Could you elaborate on, you know, kind of breaking that, that habit of people pleasing? Absolutely. And I am no expert on this. I am in my journey and sometimes I am great and sometimes I am not so great and I get back into those old habits. Um, Number one, I think it's just being really self-aware and paying attention to those signals within yourself. You know, am I saying this because I truly feel it? Or am I saying this because if I tell this person what I'm actually feeling, I'm afraid of the reaction that they're going to give me. And again, I think it's about really getting comfortable with the uncomfortable. And I'm in control of my thoughts and feelings. And I'm in control of my opinions. And the best way that I can approach those tough subjects is ensuring that I'm delivering my message in a clear and kind way. And then the person that I'm speaking to, their reaction is their reaction. And I can't own that. I can't take, um, I can't take that on. And so that's been a big part of my journey is really identifying those moments and trying to stop myself when I'm saying something because I think it's going to please them and really recognizing if I speak my truth, I'm going to have better outcomes down the road. And if I speak my truth in a clear and kind and respectful way, their reaction may not be what it has been in the past because of the way I'm delivering that message. Mm, That's really interesting. So how do you because for me, I have to, I have, you know, if I'm trying to be assertive, I may come back to an email a lot of times and rework it. I'm notorious for reworking, reworking. How do you kind of take something head on that is challenging? Well, let's see here. On my, on my good days, (laughs) again, it's all, it's all a work in progress, but I would say you know, really, really facing it and running toward the fire and doing it in an open, honest, truthful way is the best way to do it. Because the one thing that keeps coming back to me is if I'm in a situation and I'm saying what they want to hear, I'm only creating a bigger issue and I'm only creating a bigger problem. And so really starting off from a place of truth and also naming it, I I will have meetings with my boss where I'll say, hey, I need to tell you something and I'm a little afraid of your reaction, but I need to feel comfortable about speaking my truth no matter how you react. So I am going to be a little uncomfortable because I want to be really honest with you and I'm a little afraid. (laughs) I think sometimes just saying it like that, the other person's like, oh, wait a minute. I don't want you to be afraid to 
you know, tell me the truth, you know, yeah. I, I want to hear your truth. And so naming it has been really helpful for me. Yeah. Wow. That has coaching helped too, because it's one of those situations where, you know, you're not telling them what they want to hear, you know? Yeah, absolutely. No coaching has definitely helped. And I've had different coaches throughout my life and there are, you know, different coaches for different times along your journey And again, a lot of the coaches that I've sought out have been strong women who are clear and confident and have let go of the fear of of consequences. And, um, you know, I think with, again, with people pleasing, you've got to go back to really unpacking and peeling back the layers of how did I get here? What were some of the things that I was conditioned at a young age um, in my family, in my school, in my role in society? And, you know, the book that comes to mind for me is the book Untamed by Glennon Doyle. And I started her journal a few months ago. And the first four or five pages, she asks, you know, what were you told was a good girl when you were younger Mm. and you know, how, what behaviors were you praised for and unpacking that and going through those layers is really interesting, really eye opening. And especially as white women, we need to look at, you know, what have been some of those conditions and then how have we impacted um, you know, others' ability to feel like they belong mm. and and how they're included. And, you know, in cultures where you are trying to build belonging and inclusion, I think it's really important that, you know, we we need to look at the construct. And really the construct in the U.S. and in capitalism has been a culture of belonging for white men, white women. And I would love to flip the script and look at how do we build constructs where black women and black men and brown women and brown men, they are the first to feel like they belong and they're included. And I think that's a big journey that that everyone needs to be on and understanding your bias and understanding your blind spots. And you can't do that sitting alone at home staying in your own head, you have to get out and have those critical, uncomfortable conversations because that's the only way that growth happens. Yeah. And I want to talk about, you know, investment too, because the Motley Fool invested in you and look where you are now. Um, You know, investment is also so important as well when we talk about culture and race and you know, inclusivity and belonging. So could you talk a little bit about investing in, you know, marginalized groups that you want to uplift and and see flip the script? Yeah, absolutely. I would say, um, you know, anytime I meet someone, I really try to look at who is this human? What do they love? What do they value? How do they want to be recognized? And again, it's about asking, you know, really great questions to understand. And, you know, I'll take it back to my story at The Motley Fool. 
I am a fool for life. I love Mm -hmm. that company. I still keep in touch with a lot of the people that I used to work with. And I think, you know, for me and my journey, Lee Burbage, the chief people officer uh, at The Motley Fool, I joined The Motley Fool in 2007, originally as an account executive. Mm -hmm. I was on their sales team and I sold advertising for fool.com. And after about five years, I went to Lee and I said, I just, I don't think I want to be in sales anymore. And I'm not really sure the direction I went ahead. And Lee has been, uh, you know, someone I call him my Mr. Miyagi because I, I really appreciate just the conversations we've had, but Lee was really the one that nurtured my path into getting into, into the people space. And Lee saw something in me and you know, the more I learned from him, the more I felt like I think I found my calling. I think this is what I absolutely want to do. And he said, okay, let's get you certified as an agile coach. And then when I brought that training back, um, we did check-ins with employees and the people team mainly did the check-ins. And after a while, you know, Lee and Kara Chambers and Tamsin Green And um, Nate, we all got together and said, okay, what if we created a coaching program? And what if we trained other people outside the Motley Fool um, people team Mm -hmm. to be part of this? And so I think when, when you meet someone, I think the faster you can understand their gifts, what they're good at and what they love doing and nurture them along that path, that is really where you help people find their calling. Yeah. And, you know, really working with um, every community, you can't sit back and, and think everyone's going to come to you. It's about building really meaningful relationships. It's about meeting them where they are. And it's about going in with curiosity and understanding and asking the questions, you know, how do you want to be seen? How do you want to show up? What can I do to nurture your path? And not speaking for them, but advocating for them and passing the mic is the best thing I think that we can do for traditionally marginalized communities in those populations. Mm, Absolutely. Erin, I've really enjoyed this conversation and your insight. Um, It has been really wonderful to speak with you. Um, Is there anything that you would like to add before we wrap up today? Yeah. Lastly, um, there is a quote, and I apologize, I'm going to forget the name of the person that says it, but there's a quote that says, when a flower doesn't grow, you don't change the flower, you change its environment. And I think about that quote on a daily basis because our environments, whether our home environments, our community environments, our work environments, that's really how you know if someone's going to thrive or not. And I've seen this time and time in my career where someone is at a company and they're amazing, they're a rock star, everyone is really happy with them, they're productive, they feel amazing. You take that same individual and they go to another company and you see a completely different person. Yeah. And that that person didn't change, their environment did. Mm-hmm. And so for all of those individuals that are working in companies, you don't have to be in HR 
to create an amazing environment for your colleague. You have to show up, you have to say good morning, and you have to see that human for the human that they are. Wonderful. Last thing to think on. Thank you so much again. So if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way to do so? The best way is on LinkedIn. I am always happy to connect with anyone and share ideas. You know, one thing that the Motley Fool taught me was, you know, when you're doing something wonderful and it's working, share with the world. Mm -hmm. Because if, if you have something amazing going on at your company and you've seen it work super well, why wouldn't you want this at every other company yeah. so that everyone gets to have that joy? So I'm always open to sharing and listening and would love to connect with anyone on LinkedIn. Awesome. Well, if you or anyone you know is like Aaron who wants to people to feel like they belong, reach out to me, Lindsay at staffgeek.com. Thank you for listening to Staff Geek's People Analytics Podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay Patton, and I'm always looking to interview leaders who put people first. If you or someone you know lead with a people-first mindset, please email me at lindsay at staffgeek.com. That's L-I-N-D-S-A-Y at staffgeek.com. If you want to take things a step deeper and understand your organization's true culture DNA, I encourage you to take Staff Geek's free culture assessment. Just head to staffgeek.com and click the button that says free culture assessment. Thanks again for listening.